evidence and answers. The world of social media has changed the way we perceive reality, how we interact with one another, and the way we communicate. Have you noticed a shift in the way we interact with others across the lines of social media? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat and his guest, Doug Bursch, will discuss how social media has changed our world and how Christians can be a powerful witness for Christ here in the world of social media. Now with part one is our host, Pat. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the issues of today. Social media, it has changed the way we communicate and the way many of us view reality. And unfortunately, we see a lot of angry dialogue on social media today. How has social media affected the way we interact with one another? Instead of uniting us, social media is actually dividing us. Well, how can Christians be a positive witness for Christ on the social media platform? Well, to help us answer that issue today is Dr. Doug Bursch. He is co-pastor of Evergreen Foursquare Church in Auburn, Washington. He serves on the U.S. Doctrine Committee, the International Doctrine Committee, and Education Commission of the Foursquare Church, and he has taught theology courses as adjunct faculty for Life Pacific College and Life Ministry Institute. He earned a doctorate of ministry from George Fox Evangelical Seminary, author of a great book here that we're promoting, Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. So, Doug, welcome to Evidence and Answers. Well, thanks for having me on. It's a real pleasure to join you. Well, Doug, you're also a former newspaper columnist and a radio talk show host as well. You presently are the producer and host of the Fairly Spiritual radio program and podcast. So you do quite a bit, don't you, Then just pastoring, huh? Yeah, I do quite a bit. For about five years, I did a daily uh, talk show similar to what you're doing, and it's been a joy to be able to see all the different ways that Christians can communicate through different mediums, but also to see the challenges. Yes, now we're talking about social media today, and when we talk about social media, what are we talking about here? Well, uh, social media, we're all using it at some level, at least most of us are. I focus on basically any online communication where we're interacting with other people, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever new platform will be developed in the future. And I focus in on how our communication changes when we communicate online, that the technology itself changes who we are, how we communicate, and how we interact with one another. Yes, that's uh, one of the great points you make in your book. Now, how is social media changing us? I mean, as individuals, how is it changing us? Well, I think we all realize this at some level that we seem to become uh, or we're becoming more divisive or divided online. And what I argue for is the technology itself changes us. Uh, there was a technological theorist, Marshall McLuhan, in the 70s who wrote, the medium is the message. And his whole issue was that the kind of medium we use changes the way we express things. Now, for instance, online, that's a very written form of communication, especially when we're arguing online, we begin to write back and forth, longer and longer things, arguing our theology. Well, when we write, we only use certain parts of our brain. 
and uh, other parts of our brain for more complex thinking or conflict resolution thinking aren't used. So even that alone, just something as simple as that, that we're using different parts of our brain uh, influences how we deal with a dialogue. Or another one, we can't see people's facial expressions. How much of empathy and understanding comes from seeing someone's face? Because we can't see their face, we can't see how their body is reacting to what we're tweeting or posting, that changes how we communicate. And what I look at is all kinds of little areas like that and big areas that change the way we we deal with a conflict online. When we're in this disembodied environment where I'm not really present with you and you're not really present with me and we can't hear each other's voice intonations and we're arguing in a very limited way, often through text and not through more uh, complex ways of interacting with one another. Yes, and you talk about first how the brain works when you're simply communicating through text. There's only one part of the brain that's working as compared to when you're interacting face to face, you know, both sides of the brain is working. Why is that so important? Well, it is like I just don't think we recognize this as much. Now, some scientists differ or disagree on what parts of the brain are are being used, but the reality to connect with someone, we want to use as much of our mental capacity as possible. The ability to understand the emotions, to be able to have big picture thinking where I can uh, problem solve. Uh, They find, for instance, even the way our mind responds to a vivid picture versus vivid words. And I'll just give you an example of this. I think everybody's run into this. People can't read the tone of something through written words. And so if someone thinks I'm angry at them, they're not going to be reading my words in a polite way. They're going to be reading it as if I'm angry with them and saying it in an angry way. And I remember in our church once I was texting back and forth with a oh, a couple, there was a conflict, and I realized they thought that my wife and I were angry at them, and we weren't, but they were reading the words with kind of one part of their brain and just reading it based on the text. And so I went to my wife and I said, let's just take a picture. So we took a picture of us smiling, and we sent that picture of us smiling back to them. Well, them looking at that picture, it activated other parts of their brain, and it allowed them to receive like, oh, these people aren't against us, they're for us, they're able to see our faces, and then to put the written words in that context. Those are all mental processing issues. We're using different parts of our brain with uh, whether it's visual, whether it's written, whether it's verbal. And so we have to recognize this when we face conflicts because we have to try a little harder to be able to activate those other aspects for problem solving. So social media is supposed to make us communicate a whole lot more. But are we saying here that it's actually making us less able to communicate? Well, you know, I I believe there's all kinds of strengths to social media, and so this is not at all something just saying, you know, we need to avoid it. But uh, one of the things that every technology does, and Marshall McLuhan also talks about this, that every technology extends a part of human capacity, but it also weakens the part it extends. And here's an example. What does the car do? The car allows us to walk farther than ever before, so it extends the human capacity to walk. However, the car also makes us lazy. We don't walk as much. And so it extends our human capacity to walk, but it makes it so we're not as healthy and <laughs> we're gaining weight and we're, you know, we're out of shape. Well, this is what's happening with technology. What is the strength of social media? Well, it allows me to connect with all sorts of people, hundreds, thousands, millions of people just from my home. 
But that access to connect with people uh, is also being weakened because these relationships are so just uh, re- replaceable. I can just easily replace somebody. I can interact with someone. If I don't like them, I'll just block them or mute them and go to another group of people. So the advantage of social media where we can communicate instantly with many people also becomes a disadvantage. We communicate instantly and instantly we communicate our anger, our frustration instead of processing things. We have so many people to interact with that we don't value each relationship. And so that's where technology is helping us communicate with one another. But at the same level, it's numbing our ability to communicate in healthy ways. Yes, I think you brought up an example in the book, how you were talking to a student of yours, I think, in a grocery store, and then he said, well, I need to go find my wife, and he immediately texted her, and you said you looked to the left, and there she was, just about you know 20 feet away, Yeah. Uh, but he was on his phone texting her. Uh, yeah, and of- it's exactly it, isn't it? It's he He's talking about how he's going to bring the world together and technology is going to change us. And instead of looking up to see where his uh, girlfriend is in the store, he starts immediately texting. And he's so dependent upon that technology, it's actually creating distancing instead of connection. Yeah, so that's how uh, a little bit of how social media is changing us individually. How about as a culture as a whole? How is it really affecting our culture. Well, there's many ways, and I look at uh, different areas. One, uh, it's segmenting us. One, there are algorithms that segment us. We all know this. If you buy something on Amazon, it'll recommend other things. People who've bought this also like this. Well, social media does that as well. It says, if you follow these people, you should also follow those people. Well, what happens is the parts of our personality that are exaggerated become even more exaggerated. So if I'm a far left political person or a far right political person, the algorithms recommend for me to hang out with more far left people if I'm far left or more far right people if I'm far right. So now I'm segmented in these groups that we all agree about the same thing and we're all passionate about the same thing. Well, the problem with that is we're not learning how to get along with people who disagree because we're spending our time uniting with people based on shared ideology or shared politics. And that segmentation happens with the algorithms, and we're also doing that personally. We're making those decisions, uh, avoiding the people we don't like and hanging out with the people who agree with us. And so I think in a general way, it's polarizing our culture where instead of learning how to live in diverse community or with differences of opinions, we're rallying around and hiding out with people who are like-minded. But even in those environments, when we face a conflict, we don't know how to go through that conflict. We just break away from those groups and form more segmented groups. And so I think we're seeing this impact on our culture. Yeah, you know, and some people are sitting there saying, well, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with avoiding conflict and people I disagree with and just hanging out with people that I agree with? It's much more relaxing for me, <laughs> you know. Uh, but you said there's a danger in that, especially for Christians. What's the danger yeah. of avoiding this kind of conflict? Well, and you know, my main reason for writing this book is I believe the gospel is the answer for anyone's life, that as Christians, we are called to the ministry of reconciliation, which means we are doing everything in our power to communicate a gospel that breaks down every dividing wall of hostility between us and God and between one and another. So I'm not communicating online just to be right. I'm not communicating online just so I can find people who agree with me. 
Ultimately, my goal is to bring light to people who are in darkness, to bring life to people who are living in, in death. And this is the problem with segmentation, because it cuts us off from our mandate to go into the world, to seek the lost, to engage in the ministry of rescue that Jesus initiated at the cross, his death, resurrection, and ascension. And that is something Christians should be a part of. So our job is not just to isolate until Christ returns or until we return to Christ, but we're supposed to be light in dark places. Where do we express the light of Christ? In the midst of conflicts. Uh, how do we bring people into the truth? We interact with them in love. And this is the part I'm also seeing in our culture. Instead of communicating to reconcile, to bring someone into the light, we're just communicating to be right, to prove that our side's right and their side is wrong, which is a very political, partisan way of communicating, but it's not the gospel way of communicating. Right. That's one of the things you state in your book, that social media is supposed to be bringing our world together. But instead, it's proving to be a divisive force in the culture and even more isolating. Now, we just mentioned one example of how it is a divisive force, but uh, how else is it a divisive force? We're seeing a lot of angry rhetoric there in the uh, social media. Yeah, and, and this is the big thing to me. As Christians, we have to be aware of why we are communicating. My goal is to build relationship with someone so that they can actually come to the truth. So it's not about whether I have strong opinions or whether I disagree with someone, but there's a difference in the way the world communicates versus how Christians are called to communicate. For instance, politics. Everyone should have political opinions. We all do, and it's part of being an American or part of even in any nation you're in. You have to have some sort of political ideology and try to live that out as best you can. But partisan politics, often the goal is for our side to win and your side to lose. It's our nation, not your nation. It's our country, not your country. It's not for reconciliation. As Christians, we communicate our politics for the purpose of bringing people to the truth. So it's in love. And I know when someone loves me. When someone loves me, they treat me in a certain way. And if someone doesn't love me, I'm not going to listen to them, even if they are right. <laughs> you know, even if they might be saying the right thing, if I think they don't love me and they don't care about me and they're just trying to prove a point, I'm probably not going to listen to that person at all. So this is a big deal for Christians. Our job is not to argue our positions online, our views on abortion or gun control or whatever the issues are. Our goal is to communicate our politics in a way that demonstrates that we love those who disagree with us, that we're communicating this troop, hoping that they would come into this light, but also letting them know that we're still going to love them and bless them even if they disagree, because Jesus was pretty clear on that, to love our enemies, to do good to them, to lend to them, uh, and not expect repayment. We're called to love people whether they agree with us or disagree with us. Yes, and you talk about how conflict is resolved differently in social media than face-to-face. -face. And I think one of the things you stated that I'm often fall into the trap of is on the internet or in social media, we think we win by information. Yeah. You know, if I've got the information or if I've got the facts, then that's how I win the argument dialoguing on social media. You said, well, there's more to it than that. 
Yeah, and I think we know that. Anybody who's been married knows this. Uh, <laughs> when you're first married, sometimes, at least the, I think men do this more than women, but just trying to solve the problem of your wife. What's the problem? Let me solve it. Let me. I remember my wife uh, was trying to make me a pie when we first got married, and she was really struggling. And I went in, and I just made it for her because I, I had a cooking background, and I just quickly made the pie. And I thought I was helping her. Instead, it just made her cry and walk out of the room. Uh, <laughs> and I realized that wasn't the issue. The issue wasn't just finding the right information to make a pie. It was for me what? To care about how she was feeling, to listen to her, to ask her what she really needed from me. And that's true with anyone. So my goal isn't just to find the right information, but it's to form healthy relationships. And how does that happen? Through asking questions, through determining what someone really needs. Like maybe the first thing someone needs is not a lecture. They just need you to say, hey, thank you for sharing your opinion. You know, I disagree, but I'm so happy you'd share that and I'd love to talk with you more. So often we're rushing to get to some answer or rushing to get to some conclusion, but relationships don't really work that way. They take time. You have to build trust. And in our information age, sometimes we think the goal is just to get the right answer. But again, if I don't trust someone, even if they're giving me the right answer, I'm probably going to be reluctant to receive that answer. So that's another problem with our internet age. We just Google the right answer and give a bunch of scriptures and quotes and convince people to follow the Lord or to follow our idea. But that's not really how hearts are changed. There must be some expression of genuine love and built trust. Yes, and I got a good example of that. I remember there were times I've written on Mormonism and how it's different from Christianity. Mm -hmm. It's very different. Yeah. And I've had angry Mormons text me, blog me, whatever. Right. And tell me how wrong I am, how I don't know anything, and all of this. And I usually, you know, shoot back and say, look at all my quotes. Here are all the quotes. You know, the, well, I remember with one guy, I said, hey, thanks for, thanks for reading the article. I don't want to get information wrong on what the Mormon church is all about. So if you could specifically tell me in my article where I'm wrong and where I've misquoted people and where my mm -hmm. footnotes are wrong, I'd love to make it a more accurate article. And so he went and studied, and he actually emailed me back, and he said, well, you actually quoted the right sources. I've actually read them, and boy, I'm, I didn't know that this is what my church teaches. You know, mm -hmm. And we developed an interesting dialogue. We're still going, instead of me just kind of blasting him like I used to do with all the information. Yeah. yeah is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, here? that's a great example. Uh, I remember with radio, I would sometimes have atheists uh, uh, who would – send me angry emails, and often I need to understand what they're angry about. Like, often I'm just a symbol of what they hate about the church. Maybe they had a bad experience with Christians or pastors. So my job is to humanize the situation, that I'm not just a caricature. I'm not just an ideology. I'm a person. And so this is one of the things that social media does is it often dehumanizes us and we just segment people into ideologies and make all these assumptions. And that was part of the person making a lot of assumptions about you and your view of Mormons and Mormonism and you know probably the worst assumptions. So the goal is to say, okay, I want to humanize this situation. I want you to know my heart. And to do that, so like with the atheists who would interact, some just were mad at me and they'd stay mad. And I realized I have to put boundaries there and you know maybe block them from attacking me on a regular basis. But others, I could say, you know, thanks for sharing that concern. Concern. Are there any other concerns you have? Um, what would you like from me? Uh, I'm just a human. That kind of hurt what you just said there. Uh, are you trying to hurt me? You know, I can just say really honest. 
And then you'll find either people will back off and they'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, I just got upset, and they tell you their story. And that's what you want people to do is to tell you their story, why they're mad, why they don't like Christians. I want to be in the room to help them process that instead of win an argument and not have an ability to speak into their lives. Yes. You know, Doug, we're hearing a lot about cancel culture. And, you know, basically when there's an ideology that the popular left-wing media doesn't like, they simply, you know, cancel that person or stop communications with them or take them off Facebook or whatever. Christians, we also do that on our social media platforms. Do you see a danger in that? Yeah, well, you know, regardless, you know, I tend to not talk in terms of political right and left, but regardless, as Christians, regardless of your political agendas, you're supposed to have a different spirit. And so even if you say, well, non-Christians do this, so why can't we do this? We're supposed to be different. So to me, that's a partisan mindset to say, well, they do this, so I'll do this, you know, and they're they're terrible, so we'll be terrible. Like, uh, so as Christians, we we speak the truth, we we talk about what's just and right, but we still also love, and both can exist. And you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, facts don't care about your feelings, and I'm like, well, that's not really true. Jesus cared about our feelings. He loves us. Love cares about feelings and speaks the truth. So truth without love ceases being truth, and love without truth ceases being love. So as Christians, whenever a conflict occurs, we have the unique opportunity to be different than the rest of the world, to show that we don't interact like non-Christians. We actually have the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, um, the justice, the love of God uh, that is expressed in our interactions. Sadly, often Christians look just like non-Christians. We just have different ideologies, and we can't reach the world with different ideologies. We have to have a different spirit, a different attitude, and that requires, you know, we, get, we all get swept up in it, right? We all get upset. People hurt us. So we have to take our instructions from the Lord. What is God, God cares about this person. There's not one person I'm interacting with that God doesn't love. I was an enemy of the cross before I came to Christ, and God loved me and rescued me and brought me into the light. So even if someone's being an enemy to me, my goal is to love them the way Christ first loved me, and that takes a discipline in this polarized, angry, bitter, divisive world, this climate that we're living in. Yes, you state that on social media, because we're not seeing the person face-to-face and we can't see how they respond, the communication is often a bit more hostile. Yeah. Uh, Explain that for us. I mean... Yeah. Well, you know, here's one even... And we all know this, like when you're driving a car, right? There's something about when someone else is driving next to you and they upset you, you behave in a car different than you would if you were standing and talking to each other. That, That distance creates it where we're more likely to honk at the person. Maybe the really religiously pure don't do that, but I think some of us have struggled with that, right? Mm -hmm. So there's something in that distance that dehumanizes us. Well, that even happens more in social media. They're just some words on a page. And the reality, they've even done studies with empathy that people have, empathy is developed by seeing, by eye contact, by seeing facial expressions. I think about as a kid, like think about the first time you did something wrong, like you said something mean to another kid and you realized it was wrong. How did you realize it was wrong? Well, I bet you, you saw their face. You saw how it impacted them. And empathy rose up the sense of like, oh, that was a bad thing. I should never talk to someone that way. 
Well, we don't have that ability online. And in fact, they're finding the more we're existing on screens, the less empathetic we're becoming as a culture. So it's just, well, it's the truth and I don't care how you feel, but we do care how we feel. Like, you know, if I'm communicating to someone and I realize I'm bringing tears to their eyes, that matters. Now, if I'm communicating to someone and they're just being a jerk and they don't care, I might speak a little stronger to them, but we can't tell the difference sometimes with words. And this is where I think we really have to find ways to see what's going on. Is this person just being a jerk or are we reading things into it? And, and they're just barely making it. They're, you know, they sound like a tough person, but they're just hurting and they're trying to interact in a way to express that hurt. And how do we develop that sensitivity on social media? Well, I give a lot of, one of the things I do in the book is every chapter, I give people uh, posting piece challenges where they can process their own life, uh, what they're doing. Does online, the online world reflect their regular world? We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. You'll find we have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, your Bible study, or even schedule a conference at your church or location, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Use our search engine for available resources, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share it with those around you. To keep quality broadcast like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. 